0: It is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Welcome everyone to Jewish History Soundbites, this is Yehuda Geberer with the next episode, and being that it's the Chafetz Chaim's yard site. Chafetz Chaim, beloved by all, one of the most respected and important leaders of the Jewish people in recent history, one of the only ones that that's a full consensus, that, that's pretty much undisputed, that uh, of his place in Jewish history, his beloved place, and um, there's just so much to say about the the Chavetz Chaim. When I go on trips, uh, take groups to Belarus, and when we go to Raden, to where the Chavitz Chaim is buried. So and generally, what I try to do in, in, in on the trips is speak a little bit on the bus about where we're going, and then continue when we're there, when we're in standing at the place and we see it in front of us. It's usually I need 5, 10, 15 minutes, even though I definitely have the capabilities of speaking for hours on end. But I also want people to come on my trips. And if I would do that, then no one would show up. So speak for a few minutes. And then another few minutes at the place. When it comes to the radin, I explained to the group, I said, I don't want to disturb your resting time on the bus and all that. But there's so much to say about the Chavetz Chaim. And and it's just impossible to try to cram it in into 10 minutes, into 15 minutes. And therefore, we have to start earlier. And you have to devote more time to it. And the Chavetz Chaim is definitely someone like that, that there's so much to say and so much to talk about. But what I want to focus on today is really a little bit on not him himself, but his legacy. It's his yard site. And when people speak about his legacy, they mainly refer to his sfarim. It's the principal form of his legacy. is the books that he wrote, which he wrote tens of them. But they really mean is his famous ones, such as the Brura the Sefer Chavetz Chaim, Shemir HaSalashen, a couple of other other, fam- other famous ones. Others, they might extend it to his leadership role in the Jewish people. He spearheaded all kinds of campaigns and organizations um, in the Jewish people at the time of the Vati Yeshivas and his involvement in Jewish education in the Yisrael, in uh in the plight of Soviet Jewry. A lot of these things he pioneered and, um, and, and many others, by the way. It's again a big topic, but there's another part of his legacy that's much more personal and much less talked about, and that's his own family. So a little bit of an overview of his family, some very unique individuals, and, uh, that will be today's episode. He, his first wife, whose name was Freda, uh, was a, Already, the marriage to this first already showed who the Chavetz Chaim was, even at that young age. His the Chavetz Chaim was an orphan. His father died when he was very young. And his mother remarried. And his mother remarried a widower, a widower named Shimon. And this Shimon had an older daughter who was this Freyda. And he asked that the Chavetz Chaim marry his daughter, who was older than him. And it was, it was you know, it was his mother's husband's daughter. It's a little interesting. Plus, he was poor. He didn't have a lot of uh, big dowry to give the Chavetz, Chaim. the Chavetz Chaim. was a superstar, of course, and he could have gotten a rich shidduch if he wanted. In fact, the Chavetz Chaim's half-brother, Rab Aaron Hakoyein, who was the grandfather of David Leibowitz, from the founder of Chavetz Chaim, it was his nephew, his great nephew. And um, so the Chavetz Chaim's older brother um, tried to stop the shidduch and uh, and the Chavetz Chaim says Ashkoch a because his, his, uh, his wagon wheel broke on the way, got stuck in the mud. And by the time he came, they already signed the Tznoim and he married this first wife. Now, what this first wife he had, his first wife Chavetz Chaim spoke very highly about, first of all. Um, she opened a store, like a general store, like a grocery store where they sold all kinds of things that you need in a shtetl, like brooms and sugar and herring and all kinds of other stuff and father time himself worked in the store um and and he but she was the principal one who worked in the store to allow him to learn she was very dedicated to her husband and um with with his first wife he had four children two boys and two girls his oldest was a boy named Rablaib Rablaib was uh, was his father's right-hand man in many respects um a big Talmud Chacham, a big Poisik. He helped his father write and edit the Mishnah Beru. There are parts of the Mishnah Beru that were actually written by him. A lot of it was edited by him. He helped him print it. He helped him sell it. He he literally stood at his side. He was the, the oldest son of the Chavetz Chaim. So he was present during the early years when the Chavetz Chaim built the yeshiva. Later on, Rabelay moved to Warsaw. Um, he, was a, he accompanied his father in a lot of his big meetings and conferences that he attended. He was his father's representative and voice at many of these places. He um, uh, was a, a tremendous, a great person in his own right. In fact, after the Chavetz Chaim died, he was brought back to Raden to try to calm things down a bit. Um, you know, things were happening in the yeshiva, in the town, and some politics... And he was actually appointed to be the rabbi of Radin, uh, as he became the Rav there, and he died there, uh, he died in Warsaw when he was sick, but he is brought to buried, he's actually buried next to his father. If you go to, when we go to the cemetery today, you do not see him buried there, but there's no tombstone, but he is buried next to his father. Um, Rab Leib, Leib, um, for a time joined the Mizrahi, he was more on the Zionist side. Left the Mizrahi. Also, he died before the war, and he he had uh, quite a few children. Many of them were killed by the Nazis. Grandchildren, Rubeleb, um, in his last years, wrote a somewhat something of a biography of his father. He wrote uh, one of the earliest sources. Uh, he wrote like a stories about his father, a biography about his father. Um, so that's a very good and early source, many of the things that he eyewitnessed himself. He was an eyewitness to himself. Um had a daughter um, named Freda, named after his mother, um, who left the, the way of Yiddishkeit and moved to Eretz Yisrael, but had a very close relationship with her grandfather, Chavetz Chaim. And when she got engaged in Eretz Yisrael to a fellow named Yaakov Gudovich, uh, he, Chavetz Chaim sent her a letter apologizing that he can't make the red- wedding and wishing her a very warm mazel tov, a real zaidi, beautiful letter to his estranged uh, granddaughter, but, uh, but it was his granddaughter. And, uh, and it's a beautiful uh, letter to read. And she had, a, she had a son who was born right after the Chavetz Chaim was Nifter. And she, is a secular woman in Tel Aviv, names her son after her grandfather, the Chaim, Yisrael Meir Godovich. Who's still alive? He's a great grandson of the Chavit He's in his late 80s. And he is Yisroel Megadovich, a secular Jew in Tel Aviv, who was a famous architect in Israel before he retired. And when that big video came out a bunch of years ago, he was actually interviewed and he spoke about his great grandfather and what his mother told him. It's fascinating. It was on Israeli TV. And I think it's online. You could find it. And he, and he, spoke about uh, about his great-grandfather and a good Yisrael, and is a really uh, interesting uh, interview. And his, the Chavetz second child was, um, second and third were two daughters. One of them was Sarah, um, who was married to perhaps the Chavetz most famous uh, uh, son-in-law, Reb Hirsch Levinson. Uh, Reb Hirsch Levinson was a Valazhaner, a huge Talmud Chacham, very uh, dynamic personality, very... Uh, um, uh, very charismatic, very powerful. He's the one who essentially built up the Raden Yeshiva. He was the administrator. He ran the Yeshiva. He ran the acceptance and getting the Rebbeim. And um, he built the Yeshiva. He was involved in the fundraising. Again, as far as the Yeshiva was concerned, he was his father-in-law's right-hand man. So much so that when he died in Snufsk, Deep in the Russian exile after World War One in 1920, when they're still in exile because of World War One, the Chavetz Chaim tells his daughter Sarah during the Shiva, of an astounding statement. He says to his daughter Sarah, "I miss him more than you do." Uh, that was an incredible statement, and he also was upset at Reb Hirsch. He said that Reb Hirsch was too kind; he was too nice because he had given his winter fur coat to a. Bacher in the yeshiva who was suffering from typhus during the cold Russian winter out in Snofsk. and he and, uh, and because he didn't have a coat he therefore caught a pneumonia or something himself and died as a result and the Rav Chaim said we, the, the, the Rav Hirsch had to understand that he is someone that the world can't live without and he has to be extra careful with his health. He said we need Rav Hirsch. we can't live without Rav The Rav Yitzchayim was very broken from the loss of Rav Hirsch Levinson. And Rabbi Levinson's children kept the yeshiva going after that. One of his sons, Rabbi Shul Levinson, his son in law was Rabbi Le'ezer Zev Kaplan, um, who became the Mashgiach in the Rabbi Yeshiva in the interwar period. Rabbi Le'ezer Zev Kaplan was the brother of Rabbi Shul Chaim Kaplan, who was the son in law of Rabbi Ruchim Levovitz and later a Shivan Beis Majesh Elyon in Mansi. He's buried in Harazayim. We see him when we go there. There's a whole Altamira section. And unfortunately, Reb Hirsch Levinson's uh, children and grandchildren were all murdered by the Nazis during the war, mainly in Raden itself. There's a, we always pass it on the way to Chavetz Chaim's cover, there's a large mass grave, a uh, Achim, of the Jews of Raden who were killed. The community, the townspeople, in fact, one of the testimonies at the Eichmann trial of Avraham Aviel, who's also still alive, he lived in a tiny little village outside of Raden. And he escaped from the Kever Achim in Raden, and he testified at the Eichmann trial about the killing of the Jews of Raden, Um and, and uh, in in uh, about over two thousand Jews, and among them was of Hirsch Levinson's family. His, another daughter was Gittel, and she was married to Reb Aaron Hakoyen. Uh, Chavetz Chaim had an older half brother named Reb Aaron Hakoyen. Chavetz Chaim had a son-in-law, Reb Aaron Hakoyen, and we'll soon see. Uh, from his second marriage, he had a son named Aranakayan. So a lot of Aranakayans going on in the Chavitz Chaim's family, perhaps because the Chavitz Chaim himself was an Ayhev Shalom, Veroidev Shalom, like the original Aranakayan. So he had so many Aranakayans around him. But in any event, this Rabbaranakayan was a tremendous uh, Talmud Chachim also. He wrote a Sefer Avayda and he uh, helped his father in law also with certain fundraising, with selling his farm. Um, very close with his father-in-law, the Chavetz Chaim, when all of his kids got married, including when Gittel got married, he made a a condition in the t'naim when which they wrote when they got engaged, that none of his kids can prevent him from moving to Eretz Yisrael. So he uh, he, uh, he wrote that in all of their tna'im. and interestingly enough, he wrote it in this Gittel, Gittel to Rebaran marriage also, and in the end, the one who moved to Eretz Yisrael was not the Chavetz Chaim, but Rebaran and, and Gittel moved to Eretz Yisrael in 1926, and therefore, most of the children of this and HaKain did survive. Many of them lived in Eretz Yisrael, and others moved to America, but their descendants are around. There are some descendants of Reb Leib, the earlier one I mentioned, um, also living in, some live in Boston and other places of the world. Um, there are descendants of them too. The Chavetz had a fourth son, a fourth child from this first marriage, who was Avraham. Avraham died young. He was learning in the Valoj in Yeshiva. Rebelapyan said that he remembers this Avram, and he said, He was a second He Chaim. He was, he was uh, even at a young age, he died when he was 23 years old. It broke the chavetz Chaim. He was very, very uh, broken, heartbroken. He quotes from him in the Bir Halach and Hilchis Shabbos. He also quotes him in another Sefer of his, and he writes about how heartbroken he was when he was killed. It was after the Valazhan fire, and Avram was on his way out of the town after helping for several days with the townspeople and putting out the fire, and he was weakened, he was tired, he was weak, and he was now in the exposed to the cold Russian winter, and he caught, I think, a pneumonia, and he died a few days later and, uh, at the age of 23. When the Chavitz Chaim's first wife, Freda, gets married, uh, gets, dies, excuse me, so shortly afterwards, about a year and a half later, the Chavetz Chaim marries his second wife, named Freyda also, Miriam Freyda. Funny, the Chavetz Chaim's family is very orderly. Both of his wives are named Freyda. He has two boys and two girls from his first marriage, and one boy and one girl from his second marriage. Everything is very organized. The Chavetz Chaim was an organized person. So he marries this, this second wife, Miriam Freyda, who is the child of a, a Rav in, in, in Lita, in Lithuania. And she's much younger than him. She's very, very, the, the age disparity is huge. She's younger than the Chavitz Chaim's older children even. And she has, she brings the Chavitz Chaim two children of his old age. A son named Aaron Akoyan who learned in the Rad in Yeshiva. And he escaped with his mother at the beginning of the war. Um, And, and they made it through Russia, the Vilna, to, to Russia, to Japan. And there's a special effort on the, the Vat Hatzalah in, um, in the United States to save the Chavetz Chaim's family, to save his widow, to save his remaining children, especially from his second marriage, who were still young. They were f- relatively young. And they were able to escape to America on a visa that the Chavetz Chaim's family received. So he accompanies his mother, this Arna Kayan. He, he parts ways from his mother. His mother moves to New York. He moves to Montreal, became a rabbi of a shul, the Kenyan Hatoira Shul in Montreal. And in the late 40s, he moves from Montreal to New York. His mother had died in 1946 and is buried in New York. And he, he uh, lived in relative obscurity in the last years of his life in Brooklyn. And um, he never got married. He seems to have been a little bit of an eccentric uh, individual. Can't put, quite put my finger on it. And um, definitely a, a Talmud Chacham of note. And he died in New York alone Um, in the 1950s, and is buried next to his his mother in in, uh, the Mount Judah Cemetery in Queens. The youngest child of the Chavetz Chaim was Fega. And Fega, as a young child, she's the Bas Zekunim, the child of his old age of the Chavetz Chaim. And she had a very special relationship with her father. Chavetz Chaim loved her. She, She was one who brought light and joy to his old age. She served her father. She made him his meals she helped him with the Mishnah Brewer, the, the Chavetz Chaim used to check every Mishnah Brewer before he sold it. He was so, integrity was so important to him and he was so honest that he needed to hand check every single page of the Mishnah Brewer to make sure the pages are there and there's nothing missing and and the, and the and, and there's you know nothing wrong with the printing. And uh, he used to do it himself. He used to go through... Um, um, hundreds of sets of Mishnah when he would sell them and send them off to booksellers. Um, and in his later years, it was very difficult for him. He was sick and mainly, uh, um, you know, he had to spend most of his time at home, even in, in, <coughs> excuse me, in bed in his later years. And his daughter, Fago, was actually the one who was Magia, who checked the Mishnah And every single um, Mishnah if you ever want to know what's the first edition of Mishnah from the Chavitz Chaim's lifetime, if it says "muge" in the front page, that it's been checked, then you know it's from the Chavetz Chaim's lifetime. So I was uh, once by um, someone's house in, in Beit Vigan, an elderly woman who I was interviewing, and she showed me her late husband's um, uh, uh, Mishnaburus set. Uh, he he had been a student in the Kletz Keshiva before the war, and by Baron Cutler, and in the post-war he had studied together. He was the Kharusu with Remendel Zaks, this uh, the husband of the Sfega, and he had given him, as a present, a set of Mishnaburah with a mugge So she shows me the mugge that's in the Mishnaburah, that it was written. And she said, perhaps it was written by the Chavetz Chaim himself. I said, it might have been written either by the Chavetz Chaim, or it was written by faga the daughter of the Chavetz Chaim. So she marries Remendel Zaks, um, who's the youngest son-in-law of the Chavetz Chaim, He eventually gets a position in the yeshiva in the last years before the war becomes a junior rebbe in the yeshiva, and he escapes along with um, his wife Fega and his mother in law um, to again through Russia, Japan, and to the United States at the beginning of the war. Now he gets a position in the partly because the visa that he received was through was through Rabbi um, Rabbi Revel. Rabbi Revel tried rescuing from from Rabbi uh, Rabbi, rabbi Doctor Bernard Revel tried rescuing rabbanim from Europe who were. Uh, stuck, and he supplied several of them with visas, and several of them became rebbeim in Yeshivas Ben Yitzchak Khanan afterwards. And one of them was Remendel Zaks, and he became a rebbe. um Rachel Shechter, the in of today told me that he was the paisik of the yeshiva for, for a period of time. Even though there's there was uh, quite other big rabbanim and paiskim there, Rabb David Lifshitz was there, rabbi Solveitchik himself, but Remendel uh, Zaks was uh, recognized by many. To be, uh, he was the son in law of the, uh, of the Chavitz the Mishnah Brura, I guess. And, uh, he was, he was a very prominent Rebbe and, uh, in the B'na Yussek Al Um, eventually they moved to Hereti and Feige is buried in Harazesim also, and uh, bring groups to, to his daughter's kever over there in Harazesim, uh, the Chavetz Chaim's daughter's kever. And, um, Remendel Zax and Feige Zax. Their descendants also became quite prominent. A couple of them were in Munsi and had a, some sort of Chavetz Chaim Yeshiva. Um, another one married into, it was the Talmud of Rav Aaron Cutler, of who married into the Hevron family and became a Rebbe, and later Rosh Hashiva in um, who was born in Radin. He didn't really remember his grandfather. He was a baby when he died, but he was born in Radin. The Chavetz Chaim held him, and of Hillel Zaks, who, who uh, died just a couple of years ago, used to uh, really keep the Zax and Chavetz Chaim memory alive as a grandson. So that's a little bit about the Chavetz Chaim, his family. Of course, his legacy is way beyond his family, way beyond the Levinson's or the Zaxes or Ablaib or anyone else. And he really, all of Klal Yisrael, all the Jewish people, is is uh, is beneficiaries of his legacy. So that's a little bit about the Chavetz Chaim for his yard site. This was Yehuda Geber, Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at YGE bss, at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, tours, and trips to all these places and hear about these people. Um, You can subscribe now to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Don't miss an episode. Share it with family and friends. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites. And I hope you enjoyed.